Thank you, Gabby and the team. Very appropriate song. Why don't you turn your Bibles with me to First Peter 5, and we will be reading from verse 6 to 11. Before I do so, just uh, one more important thing that I uh, forgot to mention. We, um, uh, the funeral will most likely take place on Wednesday at 1 o'clock at the Hill, and it will be streamed, um, so just be aware of that. But we will be communicating uh, through the church office um, for any updates. And please be also in prayer for the, the rest of the staff, uh, thinking particularly of Jabwin and Cleophas who discovered the body, but even those that stay in the property, Carson, Tobile, and um, let's just be in prayer for them at this time. First Peter 5, from 6 to 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. To devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Lord, this morning we really need the ministry of the Holy Spirit comforting us through your word. We need to hear your word. Only you can minister to us. Fill us with your peace. So speak to us in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. How do we react to, to tragedy? In the course of this week, um, many people have gone through many emotions, um, myself in, included. And, and people go, people deal with it differently. Responses are different. Some are just completely in shock. The, the person who helped this community the most in killed in church property at a broad daylight and it is shocking, 
The sum is a sense of complete hopelessness and kind of throwing your hands in, up in the air. And for some, is anger. Confess that that was how I reacted. I was angry. And we are, as a church, as a church family, this has shaken us. And how are we supposed to deal with, with this? And the context of this passage is, is suffering. And there are things that I want us to be reminded of that even in the midst of suffering, we are called for a steadfastness. It, it may feel very easy to just go to extremes, to, to either be completely in panic and fear, to completely shut down, to, to be in anger, to just, let's call it quits. But I want us to remind, to be reminded of what God is telling us this morning in facing suffering. So the context here is suffering. Peter has spent the, first, the, the previous chapter talking about suffering and enduring suffering, um, sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Then the beginning of uh, this chapter 5, he turns now to the elders of the church in sh- telling them how they should uh, shepherd the flock of Christ in, in the midst of suffering. And then in verse 5, there is a change of gears from the elders to younger folk in the church. Look at verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then, now, from verse 6 onwards, he is addressing everybody. And... I want to point out three things, three key elements in order for us to be steadfast even in the midst of suffering. And then three reminders. The first point that I want to make is that of we need humility. We need to humble ourselves even amidst suffering. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Now, isn't it interesting? Why humility? The context is suffering. Why would He call believers to humility? I, don't, I, I mean, at first glance, it, it seems very odd. I, I'm suffering here, and, and, and you're calling me to to be humble, to humble myself before the Lord. 
But I, I believe that the reason why humility is because we as human beings have the constant need to exalt ourselves and focus on ourselves on all circumstances. And suffering in particular brings, brings in us about uh, inward introspection that makes us focus on ourselves because we are hurting, because we are in pain. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. No, it's thinking about yourself less. Not all the time, not self-consumed. See, while we go through suffering, we may become self-righteous. There may be a, a, a feeling of, of pride and and we, we start feeling sorry for ourselves, and, and there is a, a tendency that we get cluttered in our own little world. And that is, that is self-focus. And that's pride. But what the Bible is telling us that even when in suffering, we ought to be humbling ourselves before God, not looking at ourselves, but looking outward. Second Corinthians 1.4 says, Blessed be the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, listen to this, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We get comfort from God so that we may be able to comfort others. So even in the midst of suffering, you and me going through this unimaginable pain, we are not supposed to be completely just inward focused and, and, and obsessed with our own self and our own pain, but even looking to others to comfort others, even amidst suffering. This is, this is not easy. I realize that. That for us to, to simply, to in a way look outward, is not easy. And, and don't, don't get me wrong. Don't think for a moment that I am advocating for us not to grieve not to deal with our emotions, not to cry. I think Jabu has gotten tired of me this week asking him if he's cried. <laughs> we ought to deal with, with those emotions, but all, all I'm saying is we humble ourselves before God. We, in, in humility, trusting Him, look, look to Him comfort others. It's, it's, all I'm saying is do not focus on, on yourself. Because we, we tend to exalt ourselves. And, and, and whatever, and the, the thing is pride. Pride is a, it's a silent killer. 
C.S. Lewis again says, Pride is the one, the one sin that often catches us by surprise. That, that if you, it, it kills you and you may not even be aware of it. It says, Most other, other sins, you know exactly you're doing it. You know, it's not like someone is committing adultery and then wakes up in the morning and is like, Oh no, who are you? It's, 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 not like, it's not like that. But pride, we constantly, the moment that we, we stop thinking about uh, ourselves, we congratulate ourselves, and then pride has come in again. So humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. He, let, let God exalt you. Let Him exalt you. Not you exalt yourself. Let Him exalt you. Secondly, we ought to be watchful even amidst suffering. Verse 8, be watchful, be, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the, de- the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is a hard message, but suffering is no excuse for us to become sloppy or lazy or slumber. Among, amidst suffering, we ought to be watchful. Because the devil is right there just waiting for his victim to slip up in order to devour them. It's, it's, it's not like I'm going through suffering so I, I can put my guard down. I'm suffering so I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm going to go to church. I'm, I'm not going to... Go to Bible study. I'm, I'm going through a difficult time. Well, that's, that's when you need to be watchful. That's when you need the rest of the body of Christ. That's when you need to cry out to God. That's when you, you keep turning to Him. You do not put your guard down. Because the enemy is trying to devour you. Ernest Best puts it like this. They should be steadfast under persecution so that they do not become victims of the lion through apostasy. Isn't it interesting that you will see that some people, even, even some of the major figures that have suddenly walked out of the faith, when did that happen? Some tragedy happened, and then they, they walked away. They're, the lion devoured them. They were not watchful. They did not persevere. They put their guard down and they walked away. Apostasy. So we ought to be watchful even in times of suffering. And then my third point kind of goes together with this, with this point of watchfulness. We, we ought to resist him. We resist the devil. Firm in your faith. Carry on strong in your conviction, trusting God for your protection. See, it says there, resist Him, firm in your faith. Firm in your faith. 
It, it, it tells us of, of carrying on. And in, in me, when, when I read that, the, those words, what came to me is, is a picture of, of kind of battle, of resisting him, right? And I watched on, uh, a while ago a story of Vito Bertoldo on, on Netflix. And this, this guy was an a Italian-American who fought in World War II. And he received a Medal of Honor. He didn't have a good vision. He volunteered. The, the people didn't even want him to be fighting because he's, he had to pass a medical test, but his vision wasn't great. So, um, but he was resisting German attack by himself. Now, let me read the citation that got him Medal of Honor. On the close approach of enemy soldiers, he left the protection of the building. He defended and set up his gun in the street, there to remain for almost 12 hours, driving back attacks while in full view of his adversaries, in completely exposed to 88 millimeter and machine gun and small arms fire. With inspired bravery, Bertoldo withstood the attack of vastly superior forces for more than 48 hours without rest or relief, time after time escaping death only by the slightest margin while killing at least 40 hostile soldiers. It was there for more than 48 hours, unrested, no sleep, constant guns shooting at him, and he's on the street there resisting, resisting, driving the enemy back. Even in times of suffering, we ought to remain watchful. James 4, 7 said, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, what is interesting, this is a known text, and a lot of people say, well, no, just resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Yes, but how, how do you do that? It is by the submitting to God. It is by submitting to God that you'll be able to resist the devil and he will flee from you. So in this time of suffering and pain, I want to remind you of, of humbling yourself. Don't, don't become proud. Don't become self-conceited, self-righteous. You ought to be watchful. You ought to resist the devil. But I also want to remind us of a few things that are an encouragement for us. The first reminder I want to give you is that he cares for you. Look at verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful, Um, Sorry, yes. Um, 
sorry, it's not verse 8, verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. Now, I don't think we often understand or realize the profoundness of this statement. That, that God cares for you. God, the creator of the entire universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one that made every single thing, He cares for you. Amid suffering, He cares for you. When things are not going well, He cares for you. He hasn't stopped caring. He cares for you. Now, this is very significant, and, and not many other religions have this idea. Greek philosophy couldn't, couldn't handle this. They couldn't imagine that a God could ever care for mankind. But the Bible says that He cares for us. Ephesians three seventeen to, to 19 so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, to know the love of Christ. That amidst all the pain, God cares for you. That God loves you with an everlasting love. He did not leave you. He did not stop caring. He did not throw you away because you sinned. He cares for you. For your well-being. For you as a person. As an individual. Not just, uh, not just for the church in general, but for you individually. As you go through suffering, be reminded that He cares for us. He cares for us. Second reminder I want to give us is that suffering, whatever suffering you're going through, it's not unique to you. And I think for, for me, this points out a little bit to, to the humble yourselves. Because sometimes we like the prophet Elijah, that is crying out to God, Oh God, I'm, I'm the only one. I'm the only one left. I, I, I'm going through suffering. I'm, I'm hurting. And, and God says to him, no, you're not the only one. I have reserved 700 people that have not bowed their knees. You're not the only one. Look at verse 9. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering, the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. 
if if you have a look at church history, if you uh, read uh, the Fox's books, Book of Martyrs, and the suffering that Christians throughout the centuries, throughout the whole world, have been experiencing. It, it broadens your vision that you're not alone in this. It is not unique to you, this suffering. From second century already, churches began to communicate to each other the records of their martyrs, like Polycarp. Polycarp, who was a disciple of John, and he, he got martyred. Uh, the emperor asked him to recant and and he said, for 80 years, God has been good to me. Why? How could I now betray my Savior in this last hour? Suffering that we go through is not unique to us. And, and, and in a way, this helps us to, to look, look for the persecuted church, to pray for the persecuted church, different places in the world, Believers everywhere going through similar struggles as we go through. And you know, yeah, chatting with Jabu this week, I think, yeah, he, he mentioned, yeah, this, this was a martyr's death. The, the death of Freddy, you know, was kind of, he was kind of a martyr. It wasn't the only one. It's been the Church of Christ have been going through suffering in a long time, and and part of Peter Peter's um, uh, message in in this letter is, don't let suffering be unexpected. On the contrary, expect suffering. You are going to face this. In First Timothy, whoever wants to live a godly life will suffer. Thirdly, third reminder is that glory awaits. And after, verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. After you have suffered a little while, and it's interesting, he uses a little while because from our life span here on earth compared to glory, it's really little while. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. There is a glory that is coming. There is a glorious resurrection. And so, while going through suffering, we see here in First Peter, we see in Thessalonians, as, as we had gone through, one of the things that gives us hope and, and keeps us steadfast 
is to have a, a scatological mindset that this is not the end. There is something glorious that is coming, a second resurrection where we, we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And, and, and the archangel uh, will, will shout and the trumpet will sound. Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing, are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The sufferings of this time is not, is not even worth comparing. It's nothing compared to the glory that is to come. And so we ought to adjust our mindset from, from just thinking of the here and now and not having an eternal perspective. It's not only though a glory awaits in just in the future. But as you go through suffering, God is working His plan and there is fruit even in the here and now. One of the church fathers, Tertullian, say the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Whenever the church have gone through substantial suffering, through substantial uh, persecution, it has not <laughs> stopped the church. On the contrary, it has made her flourish. Whenever there has been deep suffering, it, it has, in a way, sanctified the body. We are generally used to comfort, but God restores the passion of the believers sometimes through suffering. And you know, Pastor said it this morning at the hill, and and it, talking with my folks, I'm also curious. And in a way, expectant, what is God going to do with us as a church after this tragedy? This is not in vain. This is not in vain. God has a purpose. And finally, we will be restored. You will be restored. After you have suffered a little while, the God of grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, and strengthen, and establish you. One of the commentators puts it like this, His church will finally be per perfected, established in all the glory it shall have. And the ground which had been shaken by persecution once again 
steadied beneath the feet of its members. We will be restored. I want to conclude with what Peter concludes in verse 11. To him be the dominion forever and ever. To him be the dominion forever and ever. What is Peter doing? He's reminding the people that are going through suffering who is in control. Who has the real power? To him be the dominion forever and ever. Christ is in charge. He's, he's powerful. Nothing else is outside of his control. He, he is still in control. He is still in control. He's, he's, he's the powerful one. And so, Church of God, this morning, let us turn to Him. Let us turn to Him. Let us, let us seek the one who, who comforts us. Let us seek His face for, for wisdom into what lies ahead. Let us trust the one who is in control and is all-powerful. Let us not be consumed with fear, but filled with, with love. Knowing that God is in control, that He is sovereign. And, and, and brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a time for us to mourn together, cry together, encourage one another. Don't, use, don't waste this time in, in gossiping or, uh, you know, words that are of, of maybe discouragement. You know, the way that we grieve is not like the world grieves. We have hope. We know exactly where Freddy is. Oh, May our conduct, may our grieving glorify God this time. Let us pray. O oh God of the universe, we thank you because we have Jesus Christ who intercedes for us. Your word tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way and yet without sin. And so, Lord, we, we thank you because Christ can identify with us in our suffering He knows exactly what we are going through. And Lord, 
we turn to you. We turn to you this morning. As, as a Central Baptist Church, as a family, Lord, we turn to you. We express that we are heartbroken. We express that we are in need of you. Express that words fail to, to describe fully the extent of our pain. But you know, you know, you know us. Thank you even for your spirit that intercedes for us with unexpressible groans. Thank you because we don't grieve alone. We don't grieve like those who have no hope. Lord, help us to trust you, to be comforted by you, to comfort one another, to encourage one another, to be sober-minded, to be watchful, to humble ourselves, to resist the devil. Help us, Lord. We need your hand and your grace over us. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.